Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. Now your hosts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hyperion Hub. I'm John Alois, and joined by Sean Degenhart. Hi-ho. And John Redling Schaefer. Hello there. I just want to remind our listeners that we are on all the major social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter, you can find us at Hub Hyperion. You can also get a hold of us through email at podcast at thehyperionhub.com. We like to start our show off with our Disney views, and let's throw it over to Sean. We uh, talked about this in a previous episode, but we're so excited to learn that The Muppet Show, all five seasons, will be arriving at Disney Plus in February. Um, I remember watching that show as a child. I think it was on like Saturday late afternoons on reruns, um, and just you know, five seasons of fantastic guests. I mean, you've got George Burns and Milton Berle, Harry Belafonte, Pearl Bailey, Julie Andrews, Linda Lavin. I mean, it was a who's who of Hollywood and the movies and TV shows. And of course, my favorite episode um, guest starred Luke Skywalker, R2-D2, C-3PO and Chewbacca. That was a fantastic episode. We just love The Muppet Show. Absolutely. You know, I'm a little bit older than you. I remember watching it brand new. On Saturday night, you quite a bit older than me. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 do a deep dive into that, guys. <laughs> How old is John? Uh, what I loved about the show as a kid was it just felt so adult. You know, here I am, a kid, and I'm watching this behind the scenes, and I knew there were jokes that went over my head um, back then, and I can't wait to rewatch those with a with a different perspective. Um, but, uh, yeah, very creative and, you know, Kermit was on two different shows. I mean, he was on Sesame street and he was on the Muppet show at night. So, uh, loved it, loved everything about it from open to close. I love the idea of having, um, you know, like you said, a show within a show. So seeing the backstage, the production work and seeing some of the props and costumes laying around, you know, right off stage and um, seeing the band playing live. And of course, Waldorf and Statler up in the balcony heckling everybody and everything. And Gonzo, what was going to happen with Gonzo at the end of the uh, intro? Uh-huh. Yep. Brilliant. I can't wait for it to drop February 19th on Disney+. Plus. All right, now we're going to hear the second part of our conversation with producer, director, author, Don Hahn. Unfortunately, we experienced a technical difficulty and there was some loss of sound quality later in the interview, but it shouldn't affect your ability to understand what Don is saying. As I said, Don is an author and that's what we're talking about as we pick things back up in the conversation. I'm holding the book you wrote called Brainstorm. And it's one of my favorite books because the way you share uh, the creative process, you're very observant and you look for inspiration all over the place. That's what I see. Sometimes though, creativity uh, comes from inspired occurrences, but not always. And, uh, you know, sometimes we need to have some sort of discipline and discipline can be a four-letter word for creatives sometimes. But we do have to set up some sort of process to get to where we need to go. And I just want to ask you, what are some of your routines? What are some things that you do to help find that inspiration uh, for those creative solutions? Well, one element is that you have to uh, just work. 
um, the whole idea of waiting for your muse or waiting for uh, inspiration to strike, that's really there to keep the amateurs out. Um, if you're a professional and you're a, you know, name your art form, music, uh, a chef, a uh, animator, whatever, you show up for work every day. And uh, is it inspiring? No, no, not, you know, maybe if you're lucky, you have a day when you're in the flow and things are just coming out of you. Most of the days aren't. Uh, so you show up and work and, um, and deadlines are your friend. The, you know, one of the most difficult movies in terms of budget and finance and a tiny budget and, and skepticism about whether it would work or not was Who Framed Roger Rabbit. We had $4 million to do the whole animation on that movie. And it became a big hit, but it was, it was very difficult in terms of its, its budget and schedule. Beauty and the Beast was the same way. And uh, so you never know that, that schedule and budget helps you make smart decisions and forces you to finish things. Um, and so movies and, and projects like that, I think the a healthy deadline is good. And just showing up to work, whether you're a novelist working by yourself or whether you're working with colleagues, um, you have to engage and you have to really be in the room. And if that means sitting around in a quiet room for a while until something happens, that that's human there's like statistics that we can, we can have a great conversation for 20 minutes and then it kind of lulls because for some reason after 20 minutes, there's a dip in energy. And, um, and that happens to all of us. It happens in story meetings. It happens in movie making. You know, the end of the first act in a typical movie is after 20 minutes. And that's when something in every movie is when the inciting incident happens. So you have a normal day and then, you know, gunshots go off and you're in the middle of a war. That usually happens 20 minutes into a movie. So you have to just show up and you have to do the work and, um, you know, my, my mom and dad showed up, my relatives, I'm sure yours too. You show up. You don't, my dad didn't always feel like doing what he had to do. He was visiting sick people and writing sermons and, but he did. And he showed up and, and, uh, and did his job. And so that's really the process, whether regardless of what you do, you rehearse the people I know, like Jody Benson, who, uh, did Ariel's voice or any of those actors, they work. I just, uh, Andrew Lansbury just turned 95. I just did a little um, videotape happy birthday for her with a lot of her friends and things. So she's 95. She works still. She was in Driving Miss Daisy in Australia like five years ago at the age of 90 with James Earl Jones, who is probably the same age. And they work on stage eight nights a week. Um, They learn their lines. They I, I recorded her. I, I just opened a new attraction at Epcot um, in the French Pavilion, and it's a Beauty and the Beast sing-along. And uh, without spoiling it, it's a sweet little story of kind of what really happened behind the scenes of Beauty and the Beast and who really was the matchmaker. And we sat around one day and said, we need somebody to narrate this. Who can we get? We thought, Angela Lansbury, oh, she'll never do it. Oh, she's going to sound right and everything else. We called her up. She said, yeah, let's try it. She shows up. I mean, this is a year ago. She shows up at the stage. She has her script with her. Uh, she said, hi, how you doing? I just um, I, I just uh, went to the movies. I, I saw the Downton Abbey movie. That eh, wasn't that good. We have to be a lot better if we want to keep this thing going. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's what we record. We record all her lines, which cut together with lines that we recorded 25 years ago on Beauty and the Beast. She said, thank you. And I walked her out to a car. And uh, she said, okay, well, I'm going to go shopping now. I mean, she works. There's no retirement in the arts, ladies and gentlemen. You work. I, mm. I talked to Joe Rohde the other day, um, who's 
you know, famously retiring from Imagineering, don't fool yourself. He's not going, he's, you know, he may have been moving on from Disney and other things, but he's the most curious, interesting artist that I know. And he's going to be doing other things that are going to be interesting. And, and the same with me. I may have left animation and, and gone on to other things, but I'm you know, crazy busy with life and, and lucky to be. So along those lines, then, if you're not working on a specific project, what do you do to stay sharp? What do you do to kind of stretch that creativity and, <laughs> and keep doing things? You're assuming that I'm sharp. Um, <laughs> wow. I, well, again, going back to something we talked about a while ago, which is the uh, having a, a big, big life, the, the nine old men lesson. Um, so I do paint. Mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't matter whether the paintings are good or bad. I don't necessarily sell them. Uh, you can go on my website and see them if you want. They're, they're paintings. I play music when I can. Um, I, I'm not a big reader. I, I mean, I just don't read. I think a little bit of it's attention deficit. Um, but I'm a really curious person, and I try to study a lot. And a lot of times I write books about things that I don't necessarily know about. Hmm. Right now I'm writing a book for Disney Editions about the um, origins of Disneyland, like the really early origins of ABC and the deal with Rhett Law and Walt leaving his own studio to start this thing up and all that stuff. Uh, It's amazing and it allows me to learn uh, and have to put those things into words. So I try to do a lot of that. Uh, I have a daughter who I love who's, uh, you know, on her own, uh, in her own life in her twenties, graphic designer, love hanging out with her. My wife's an artist. Um, and so we spend time together and are able to help each other with our artwork. And, and when I can, I travel. I mean, last year I went to the Lake District in England and went to all the arts and crafts houses and visited John Ruston's house, who was one of the founders of the arts and crafts movement. Went to William Morris's house, who was one of the great proponents of the arts and crafts movement in the 19th century. And just bummed around the English and Scottish countryside trying to soak up what the heck these guys were doing when they were rebelling against the Industrial Revolution and trying to bring humanity and hand-drawn arts and crafts back into the world when people were becoming dehumanized by the uh, Industrial um, you know, era. Wow, what an eye-opener. I mean, it was, it's amazing. And you can walk in the footsteps of these guys and go, you know, I'm not alone in the world. These people struggled. They had political difficulties. They had factions warring against each other, um, but they got along and they weren't afraid to speak up. So I, I think those kinds of things are really inspiring to me. So in this, in today's environment, um, you know, you were talking about those guys that were dealing with their own issues of the day, you know, with all of the media bombardment and, you know, devices and things like that, what can young people do? You know, I'm worried that, you know, our kids are not really developing their crafts as much as they are consuming others' crafts. So, you know, how can we encourage our young people to really just create? Well, I, I'm going to sound like your grandpa for, for a minute here, but a hundred years ago, um, if you had a free evening, you had to make your own entertainment. So, um, you know, you had to uh, play the piano or play the violin. You had to read a book. You had to write a book. Um, you had to cook. Spend a lot of time just, you know, preparing for the next day, um, doing your laundry, that kind of stuff. So you had to create your own entertainment. And when you say consume, um, you really hit the nail on the head because the addiction or the temptation is to just be a consumer. Um, 
And so the, what, what excites me is when I see uh, everybody creating things on YouTube or on podcasts or whatever, it just shows, yes, we're bombarded with things and can be uh, just taking it all in, but we can also turn around and give that back. I had a, a drawing teacher um, who said, uh, impression without expression equals depression. We're impressed by this tornado like this of information and good and bad and terrific and evil, like drinking out of a fire hose. And um, unless we turn around and express ourselves again, and unless we get that out of ourselves in the form of speaking or writing or creating or therapy or, you know, you name it, um, it, it uh, just doesn't do us very good. So, um, you know, again, if you're young and coming up, you, the, the era we live in is miraculous. The screens we live with are miraculous. I wouldn't say stay away from them. But I would also say um, get out and have a life, you know, when this is all over travel. Uh, and even before that, connect with people that don't have your life. Like I've been trying to help a lot of animators and animation studios lately. And I, um, tomorrow morning, I'm going to be on a, with a studio from Scotland. And a couple of weeks ago, I helped a studio in Mexico City. And I'm connecting with people I would never connected with before. But it's interesting because I can see their way of life. I can see what they're struggling with and, uh, you know, what their problems are. They're nothing like mine, but they're people and they put their pants on one leg at a time. And and uh, I learn from them and they learn from, from me, hopefully. So, um, yeah, you have to just, it's an extraordinary time we live in to be able to learn from the people around us in the world and um, not get too bogged down by things in the media. You know, the, the media takes a lot of hits and I'm, I'm a big fan of good journalism. Um, but there's another kind of media that is about selling advertising and that you have to just understand that that's what it's for. And if I want to sell advertising, I will tell you the most sensational thing I can tell you um, because we're wired as cavemen and women to be able to look at that. It's like, oh my God, you're kidding. That really happened? Uh, and then uh, a commercial runs to sell you a catheter or whatever. Um, so <laughs> you just have to understand what you're seeing all the time. You go, okay, I get these guys, you know, they're out of their minds and they're, you know, they're selling stuff on TV. That's one thing. But I'm also going to read some legitimate journalism of somebody who's done their work and done their job. And I'm going to read some conservative and liberal journalism, no matter where you are on the, on the bell curve of life, see what other people think. And, you know, you can say, oh, they're crazy. You know, those liberals are nutty. Those conservatives are crazy. But you'll understand their point of view a little bit more. So that variety really speaks to me somehow. Well, I just have one other question. Do you have advice uh, that you live by on a daily basis? The best advice you've ever been given or words to live by that you hear either professionally or personally all the time? Well, we talked a little bit about that expansive kind of curiosity thing um, and, and seeking out the uh, people in your life that aren't like you. Um, the other good advice is seeking out friends that'll tell you the truth. I, I, we all have friends that'll say, oh, you know what? You're the best. Yeah, you know, your, your paintings are amazing. Your movies are so good. And, you're, and that's wonderful for our egos. Um, but to search out the people who are willing, the people in the Disney Vacation Club, and they are out there, thank God, who are willing to find me in the dining room and go, I loved your movie, but there was one thing that bothered me. It was really slow. Or you know, to be honest with you, I love that. I mean, who? So to find people in your life that you know, that you don't know, that you're related to or not, 
and solicit people who can tell you the truth. Wow, that's a gift. Um, and, and to uh, allow those things to inform your own life. So I like that. And I'm, um, I have, I don't want to get too philosophical, but God darn it, you asked. Um, I have kind of a servant mentality, I think, in, uh, in my life anyway. And uh, a lot of people who are producers or directors are the boss and they are, um, you know, red-faced, uh, shouting, cell phone-throwing bosses. And uh, I'm not that kind of producer. I always had a servant mentality. And maybe it's because of uh, the way I was raised, but I always felt like if we can find things in our life to serve, and for me right now, a lot of that's arts, arts education, helping people uh, understand what I understand, whether you agree or not is up to you, but um, trying to work with younger people, trying to, to teach, trying to make myself available to do things like this, which I really appreciate. Um, that kind of serving your fellow man for the greater good boy that you can't beat that you can't beat it i mean what i have i'm not gonna miss a meal i have a beautiful house a beautiful wife i've got two dogs um i've got a messy garage i have everything i need and so to be able to give back a little bit in a in a way is really wonderful at this time in my life and uh, i learn i learn I, I promise you from conversations like we're having i can learn a, a ton in because uh, i have to put my thoughts into words to be able to tell you um, so that, that, that ability is to kind of do something for the greater good in a time when we're all struggling and yada, yada, like, no, you know, pick up the phone and call an old person in a home and say, hi, you don't know me, but I just thought I'd call you up, send them a note, write a handwritten letter to somebody you've never met, pick a relative you haven't talked to in months, pick up the phone and call them. You know, there's, there's things you can do in your life that extend, um, uh, kind of a, welcoming hands to people around you. And um, I'm not great at it all the time, but I try to uh, do some of that once in a while. Any big projects coming up that you're working on now? No, I'm honestly reading a lot of things and looking for other projects. There's, I'm looking at some non-Disney projects uh, just to have a break from that. Um, so I am writing a book about the uh, origins of Disneyland, but just film-wise, I'm looking at some non-Disney things. I've tended to make movies about my artistic heroes, like Howard Ashman. I made a, a film not too long ago about um, Tyrus Wong, the Chinese-American uh, artist that styled Bambi. Um, I'm looking at um, Julia Morgan, who I don't know if you know or not, but she was the first woman architect to study at the um, School of Beaux-Arts in, in France and get her architectural accreditation. The first woman. And she built a ton of YWCAs around California and then she worked with um, uh, Berkeley and built a lot of things on the Berkeley campus and eventually built um, uh, San Simeon and worked with William Randolph Hearst as his only architect. She was his architect and she built that amazing huge place, a single little tiny woman um, <laughs> who was persistent and her story is not often told. So stories like that are interesting to me. Don, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an honor for us, and we truly appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure completely. I hope you have a good evening, and I'm hoping we'll see you on the next Disney Vacation Club cruise, whenever that might be. We're glad you could join us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email or send us a recorded audio message at podcast at the Find us on social media on Facebook, 
Instagram, and Twitter. The Hyperion Hub is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or its subsidiaries. We'll meet you next time at the Hyperion Hub. Thank you.